Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Good. Good. Wonderful. Yeah. Good. I like that. A wonderful? I expect that. Alright. My name is Timothy. I'm your lead pastor, and it's always an honor to stand before you. I hope uh, you've had a good week. I hope your week has found you well. Um, I'm excited because we are jumping back into Hebrews today. So uh, we just closed out our identity service, our, our series, where we just walked through who we are and how we should walk in light of who we are and how we should identify solely with Christ. And as, our, as we identify closer uh, to Christ, there uh, will impact the manner in which, in which we live our lives. Um, but today we were jumping back into Hebrews. So we, um, we walked through Hebrews starting in the fall of 19, and we really just dove in and said we're going to do an exegetical study of Hebrews. So there's really two kind of studies we do here at Trinity Church, and it's really a thematic, um, which would be your, your identity series or your, your Advent series, your Easter, the things that, that, that revolve around a theme. We still dive into Scripture. Every time we preach and teach, it's going to be completely immersed with Scripture-backed theology, and we're going to dive into the Word, and we're going to see what God has in store for us. But we also uh, predominantly do uh, exegetical studies um, between uh, the holiday times, and that means we just pick a book of the Bible. So we've, we've worked through Mark, we've worked through Colossians, we've worked through James, uh, we worked through a very large portion of Genesis, and now, as of fall of 19, we, we started into Hebrews. Um, we're in Hebrews today, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and I'm just really excited to get back in um, to the immersion of God's Word. Full disclosure is I, I, I very much prefer the thematic study, or the, the exegetical study. Um, I like where we just start, and you just left to right move through. We start with the very first word in Hebrews, and we will end with the very last word of Hebrews, and it's, it's really methodical. It's, it can be weighty, though. Hebrews is, is a very passionate, um, uh, theologically deep book, and we're going to have to wade in it with grace and patience, and, and we've done that so far. Um, full disclosure, uh, Hebrews was meant to be co-taught, and, that, and that's no longer going to happen, so uh, pray for your pastor as I just walk through what that means to have the weight of this, of, of, of the almost the beautiful burden of just putting uh, or teaching whatever God puts on my heart as far as Hebrews, and, and it's a big undertaking, but I'm really excited to get back in it and, and to see where God takes us, how see how God transforms this church with His Word and to see what lays before us. Before we dive in, though, I want to, I want to say a few things before we start, um, because I want us to be a place of honesty, and I want us to be uh, never uh, of the world, but in the world. So I don't know who else this week was completely floored, but for me, um, I was born uh, and, and just really uh, obsessed and in love with the NBA. Like, I'm a sports guy, I'm completely, I'm completely, I will, if there's an issue, if there's, if there's a obsession I have in my life, it's sports, it's something that I've worked through with my wife, and I feel like we're at a healthy place. Um, you think, I, 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 I'm, I'm joking, but there is no more proof to me that we serve a beautiful, uh, uh, sovereign God that has a sense of humor, is that I, 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 if you can keep score to it, I'm obsessed with it. I want to play it, I want to study it, I want to watch it, I want to follow it, and there is no one on this earth that could care less about any sport in the history of sports than Casey Joe Routrey. And I'm talking about, like, never has she watched a complete sporting event, period. I've actually watched her at a sporting event bring a book out of her purse and read it. That's who I married. And you're just like, well, I don't know what to do with that. Like, this is dirt, baby. This is dirt. And you're watching a, this is 
Um, so we've worked on balance, but all that to lead up, completely floored at the passing of Kobe Bryant. And I know, like, you're like, Tim, it's church, and you're talking about Kobe Bryant, and I'm, it, I got the mic, bro. That's the beautiful thing about being lead pastor. So we're going to do, like, two minutes of the status of Kobe Bryant. Like, yes, uh, I didn't know Kobe Bryant, and and sadly I'll never get to meet Kobe Bryant, but talk about just a generational player. I I will, I understand it's opinion that he's top three, I'll concede maybe top five, anything out of top five, I'm just going to dismiss that as you don't know what you're talking about, Um, but just the fact, the passing of of an icon, a generation, someone who's done so much for the sport, someone that's so, such in in front of us, and I'm not saying you're supposed to have a commotional connection with someone you've never met, but I'm saying uh, the loss of life is always sad, And, and sometimes... Uh, we forget that life is finite, and sometimes we forget that uh, there, there's an expiration date. And uh, when, when something is put in the face uh, of us and we reminded us of our humanity, I think you see the world mourn, and some of them are mo- mourning the literal passing of, uh, of a human, and some of them are just mourning the fact that we will all at some point meet our maker. And then just the, the way that he did um, uh, as far as uh, something so sudden and so violent and, 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 and compounded with him being with his daughter that he had uh, really in the later er- areas of his career put to the forefront of who he was. Um, uh, I, I know Draymond Green, I don't know if y'all that is, and it's not really important, um, but he, he, he broke me this week when he did his, uh, his speech of what it meant to him in his last moments because he was literally hugging his daughter, telling her, this is obviously on. Un- this is speculation, but hugging his daughter, um, saying everything's going to be okay when it wasn't. And there's nothing more fatherly than that, like just saying. And, and I know it's like, Tim, you're crying. You don't know Kobe. And I think some of it is you just, you, you need to love on people as long as you can and as much as you can because you don't know when the last time you'll get to hug them. So uh, that is my dissertation into the life of Kobe Bryant, and we will move on. But uh, hug people, love them. Uh, my, my favorite Kobe uh, Bryant uh, quote, and I'll leave you with this, is uh, he, he was phenomenal. He had championships, NBAs. He, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. They're going to probably rename stuff after him for years to come. And his, one of his biggest quotes, I'll paraphrase it, is, there, there has to be more to life than basketball. I hope I'm defined by the father I am. but not the, I hope I'm defined by the father that I am but not the championships I've won. So I hope we walk in that light. I hope we, we hug people a little longer than we usually do. I hope we love on them. And I hope that we, we become the people they need in, in, in light of the fact that we are here for just a moment. Um, and I really think Trinity Church embodies this. So this week is uh, my own call week, which means it, I'm just running with my head uh, cut off and just trying to keep everything together and, and communicating with our staff and communicating with our body while I'm spending predominant amount of my awake time at work. And I can't tell you how proud I am of this church. I can't tell you how proud that we get to say we are about biblical community, but then we double down in actually being biblical community. And you've heard me say this a lot, that you will never find biblical community. What is biblical community? Built. It's created. You're not going to find it. You're going to create it. And um, I can't put on you enough to dive into the community that is Trinity Church. Um, we, had, we had sick kids. Uh, we had Linnea sick t- this week, and we were, we were trying to rally around the Lawrences and what they needed. And uh, they're trying to figure out a way to maybe 
get them food so they could go out for their anniversary. Um, and we had Hillary come and just stay with Lenny so they could go eat. And that, that's insane, right? That is absolutely insane. The people community. Um, you have so many people. So uh, my kids were sick this week, so uh, they, we couldn't go to family group. And if you know anything about having three under three and a dad who works all the time, you're really a single mom throughout the week. And so my family group realized the fact that Joe hadn't spoken to an adult in two days and that the only way that she was going to speak to an adult is go to family group, but they couldn't go to family group because uh, the kids were sick. So the family group came to Mesquite they, they, or to Sunnyvale. They pilgrimed east, east, uh, east, and I just came home on Wednesday, didn't even know this was happening, and my family group's in the living room just loving on Joe. So the community that you, you yearn for, the community that the Bible talks about is here at Trinity Church, and as your pastor, I'm extremely proud. All right, so that gives me 11 minutes to talk about Hebrews, but we can do it. All right, so we're going to do a little Hebrews refresh. So Hebrews is, is just a, a really a sermon written by a, a pastor to his Jewish congregation, and you're going to hear this throughout the next few months, and you've already heard it as we preach, but it's this pastor pleading with his congregation about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and he realized that if he can dial you in to that Christ is supreme, that Christ is all you ever need, that Christ is your great high priest, that Christ is your savior, is that Christ is your, your creator, your sustainer, and, and your Messiah. If he can dial you into that, he can be focused on that, everything else will fall into place. That if he can keep your main thing, the main thing, if he can keep you solely dialed in that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he's all you will ever need, he's who was promised, he's, he's who came, he's who's risen, and that he will be here again and make all things new. If he can dial you into that, he has he has got you to where you need as your congregation, and that's really applicable because that's the same thing I feel about my congregation. So that's what I love about the fluidity of the Bible, fluidity of Scripture, that it is true. It's as true as the day it was written, it's true as the day it was penned on paper for the first time in the first audience, as it is in 2020 for Trinity Church Oak Cliff, because the Savior that this congregation needed and had and when it was written circa 60 AD is the same Savior and the same truth and the same peace and the same hope that we need in America in 2000. And that, that's, that's the beautiful thing about Scripture is you can cling to it at any point in your life, at any year, and it will always be true. Because if we keep ourselves focused on the supremacy of Christ, everything else falls into place. And that sounds really easy, and there's a lot that comes into understanding He's true. Because if He's true, then the Bible that is written about Him is true, then you have to dwell in that. If He's true, then you have to pray to Him without ceasing. If He's true, then you have to do what He commands. So I'm in no way pretending that it's easy. But it's simple. There's a significant difference between biblical simplicity and biblical hardship. It means the truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, period. We can end on that. That's it. It is a simple fact. It is a one-sentence theology that drives our life. But actually enacting that, becoming that to be your mantra of life, to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, is the hardest thing you will ever do. But the simplicity of it is that we have a Savior that died for us, came again, and will sustain us. In Hebrews, we're going to talk about today about who He is, why He did what He did, and why we can cling to Him, why we can hold fast to Him, why we can embrace our Savior, who is the great High Priest. If I keep talking that loud and that fast, we're going to get through this just fine. If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. It'll be all behind me. There's a Bible everywhere. Um, around you. If you don't have one, grab one. I'm going to read it out loud. If you would, stand. Uh, we stand in reverence of God word, God's Word. We also stand so we can focus on God's Word. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just the opportunity we have as your church to dive into your word. God, I know our life is busy, and we have a lot going on. We have a lot of emotions. We have a lot of things that are just on the forefront of our mind that, that, that captivate our thoughts and our emotions and our heart. But I pray for the next few minutes that we would cast everything that's not you aside and that we would dive into your word for your way with biblical focus and foresight. I pray all things in your name. Amen. All right, so this is a really short passage, but, it, but it, it's deep, and, and it's something that is more, I would refer to as a refuge scripture. So um, I, I, have, I have scriptures, we probably all have scriptures that we know that maybe speak to us a little more personally than other scriptures, and some of them are refuge, means that in your time of need, you can, you can fold back, you can, you can come back to this, and, and, and it, should, it should give you hope, it should give you peace, it should give you clarity to the human condition and where you are. So it says, since then we have a great high priest. The word since is really a tie word. So it's trying to tie you in to the chapter uh, 2 of Hebrews where, where the, the writer of Hebrews is articulating the supremacy of Christ. So he's saying, since Christ is your Savior, since Christ is the Son of God, since Christ is greater than Moses, greater than the angels, greater than uh, Abraham, greater than any Hebrew to ever leave, since those things are true, then we can cling to what's about to come next. So since then, we have a great high priest. So a high priest is, is really the, the ruling authority of the nation of Israel. So you, we, we first learn about uh, the high priest in Exodus 20, and it really explains their role. But a high priest was, was the lead pastor in the sense of Israel, and his main job was to be a mediator for the nation of Israel to God. And he did that through, through, the, through the atonement of, of blood of animals. So the Levitic law, Mosaic law, was pretty much enacted by him. There were, for every different sin and in different consequence, whether it be a sin of omission, a sin of intentionality, a sin uh, of lust, whatever your sin was, there was an appropriate death of an animal or incense or something that would atone momentarily for it. So the high priest's job, especially on the Day of Atonement, was to say, for me to go into the holies of holies, for me to go in the temple, for me to go before God, I have to atone for the sin of the nation. And that's really what they're trying to impart to what Christ did for us, but he did it once and for all, because he was the great high priest. He was the high priest of high priests. He atoned for the sin of the world once and for all with his atoning blood. He, he atoned for everything that's ever been done, every sin that was ever committed, um, so that we may be able to go into the presence of God. Just as the high priest would do in Israel, he did as, as, as the sacrificial lamb. His blood was, was the blood that ran so we may know God's presence, that we may live in, in eternity with him. So he, he is the great high priest. He, he passed through the heavens, which, which means he conquered hell and the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered the, the hold that sin had on us, the slavery and the yoke that sin dominated us with. He conquered and, and made appropriate uh, restitution for us to actually be able to live and, and, and walk free in the will of God. So he had become the great mediator. And when it says there, since we have um, a Savior, since we have the great high priest that has walked through the heavens, then we have to hold fast 
to our confession. And we really, as, as believers, we have two kinds of confessions when it comes to Christ. We have confession of the historical Christ, we have historical Jesus, that Jesus was not just a hyperbole, Jesus wasn't an antidote for salvation, but no, Jesus Christ was a human from Nazareth that lived. We believe in his historical birth, we believe in his historical life, we believe in his historical death, which means he was completely real. Everything in the Bible that, that, that documents his history, we believe, actually happened. But then we also confess the, the, the theology of, of Christ's faith. We believe the gospel of Christ, which means he was a man, but he was also 100% God. He he lived a sin, uh, sinless life. He died on the cross for us. He, he, he was buried and then rose again in accordance to Scripture, conquering hell and the grave. And we have to confess both of those things and believe it. We see in Romans chapter 10, verses 9, where it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that confession is everything. That confession is what determines us to be a child of God. You can't just think, hey, I believe Jesus was a really good dude. There's a lot of faith and religion that, that believe Christ or Jesus lived and was a really good dude, but that's not enough. You have to confess that Christ is Lord. You have to confess that Christ died on the cross for your personal sin and the sin of the world, and then after dying was rose again. Those two things work in conjunction to our Christian faith. That is the gospel of Christ, and we confess those truths, and when we confess those truths to the great high priest, that's when we're able to cling to him. That's when we're able to hold fast to our belief, and that holding fast is what will later lead us to hope. It says we draw near in our... Sorry. It says we draw, then we draw near to the throne of, of God with grace and we will receive mercy and, and help in our time of need. And it talks about he, he, he nullified the weakness and that he controls the weakness. And weakness is really just another word for sin. So sin is, is, is played out in different uh, ways and different uh, types and throughout the Bible there's just there's original sin there's 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 actual sin where you take action and there's just sin nature that you're born into and that Christ nullified all of it and that's why we're able to draw near to him because of our great high priest because we have uh, a, a savior a king a messiah we're able to draw near to God. We're able to cling to God in our time of need. And again, uh, the weakness is played out in different manifests in, in our life. It could be a stumbling block. It could be a sin that, that we just have a yearning for. We have something that plagues us more than everyone has uh, a sin disposition, and they're all, all a little different. Um, it could be alcohol, it could be anger, it could be aggression, it could be power, it could be pride, it could be pornography. You fill in the blank. Uh, for the vice that, that has control over your life. And that's the weakness we're talking about. That's the stumbling block we're talking about here in the scripture where it says he, he, he's conquered that weakness. He's conquered our brokenness. We have to first understand that brokenness, though, in the idea and the doctrine of original sin. So original sin says you weren't born perfect, and then the first time you sinned became a sinner. That's not true. That's not what we believe. We believe we were born from the seed of Adam, which means the very breath out of our, our lungs when we were born is, is sin nature. We were born into sin. We were broken from, from conception because we were made by two broken individuals. We, we are a prolonged example of sin nature and the curse that came from the garden when Adam and Eve were exiled. But, but that act in itself is, is a culmination with also being tempted. You can be tempted. Being tempted isn't sin. Christ was tempted. He just never succumbed to the sin. 
We as humans are tempted, and there are times that we're able to fight it with with the, with the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, with 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 Scripture. But there's also times that we don't we don't win. That that sin gets the better of us in that moment, and we act and and we sin. And both of those things are the brokenness that that Hebrews is talking about. Both of those things are the weakness that Hebrews is talking about. And it's really really easy for those weaknesses and those. Those brokenness either to become commonplace, something that you've just uh, resigned, that's just going to be part of you, that that's part of your new identity. Uh, I want to be a good person, but there's X, Y, Z that I'll never be able to kick. And, and there's this brokenness. And both of those things are isolated. Both of those things can, can, can beat you down and, and, can, and can break you. They can, they can control you. They can drive you away from the community you're called to live in in Christ. They can, they can, they can break your families. They can break your, your, your life because of a misunderstanding of what those things are. Yes, you are a sinner, but we have a Savior who conquered and destroyed them, and you have to cling. And that's why uh, the writer of Hebrews is telling his congregation, you have to hold fast to the truth of Christ. You have to hold fast to the throne of God because that's the real you. The real you is what Christ sees or what God sees when he looks at you and that's that's he's looking at you through the lens of Christ. He's looking at you through the blood of his son. That's what he sees. And yes, you're going to battle, you're going to battle temptation, you're going to battle sin, you're going to battle weakness and brokenness till the day that God calls you home. But that battle is already won. The victory has been paid for and ransomed. A lot of it, we have to look at it through the lens of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 10, when Paul writes, uh, Three times I pledged with the Lord about this, about it, it should leave, uh, sorry, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And there's a lot of times that's hard for me to compute that, because weakness, I don't know where you find yourself or the personality or the the. The, I don't know, the culture you find yourself in, but weakness doesn't come good to me. Weakness is something that I, I abhor, and I, I'm working on it, and I'm not, I have no clue what that noise is. I think it's like the it's a Sweet. <laughs> um, weakness is something that, regardless of what it is, whether it be a shortcoming, uh, a lack of goal met, uh, drives something in me that is very unholy. The fact that like I have fallen short or there's a sin that's coming at me or 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 there's this brokenness that I, I can't purify myself or there's this there's a temptation that I can't overcome by myself gets at me at a way that I can't describe that I am I am not okay with falling short. That I and so this resonates a lot with me when Paul says, I plead for it to go away. Who here has pled for a sin to go away and the next day it's still there? Just me? I like that. Show of hands. Yeah. And there, it's easy for us to, to fight a good fight on Monday, fight a good fight on Tuesday. Wednesday, we're beaten down. Thursday, we don't see hope. And Friday, we're done. And then we just replay that. And we replay it. And we replay it because we know enough about the Bible to say this sin ain't going away. I was born a sinner. I'm going to die a sinner. Um, and, and we pled with God. We, we pled with uh, the Spirit to say, just take this temptation away. Take this brokenness away. And, and we see in Scripture where sometimes that temptation will be removed and sometimes that temptation will just be the fulfillment of, of God's power and sovereignty over you where he says, in your weakness, in your inability to sustain yourself, in your inability to save yourself, my grace is sufficient. In your inability to be the person you want to be, because the idea that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps is not found in the Bible. 
The idea that God God saves the people who couldn't save themselves is. And, and that is hard for us to champion in 2020 when we're an independent culture. We're a self-sustaining culture. We're only as good as the, our ability to close, our ability to earn, our ability to post really fake things on Instagram to make people think we're great parents. Whatever Whatever's plaguing you. So I'm like just pouring pour out some of my own issues apparently. But... Uh, that is a lot of times what gets a hold of us in 2020, and it isolates us. Sin can be isolating. Sin can get you to a place you never thought you would be because you have succumbed to the weakness with no hope for the strength of Christ. We see a lot in Scripture where you see, you see the disciples or, or the followers of Christ completely um, beholden to the power of God, understanding they are weak and only going to be destroyed in uh, in and of themselves without the help of Christ. We see it when Christ walks on water. I love uh, that story specifically in Mark chapter 6 because you see a group of people uh, in the middle of the storm with no hope and then you see a Savior walk to them. And a lot of times you can see that story as a as, as God just saying like, look, Look at all the powerful things I can do. But actually, it's a microcosm for salvation where you are in the middle of a storm. You're in the middle of your brokenness. You're in the middle of your weakness. And we don't serve a God who's on the shore yelling at you to do better and come to Him. We serve a God who's walking on water to get to you where you are in the midst of that storm. And He may calm that storm or He may just ride that storm out with you. But either way, you're not alone. God heals the sick when they cannot heal themselves, and he's not just doing it as a parlor trick to get his name known, but he is showing you a microcosm of salvation. He's saying your brokenness and your weakness is sin and sickness, and I'm going to heal that sin and sickness. And yes, I'm going to do it momentarily in this time and place, and you are, you're going to have the ability to see, you're going to have the ability to hear, and you're going to have the ability to walk, but I'm really just showing you the beautiful thing that's yet to come. I'm showing you what I'm actually going to do to sin and weakness and I'm going to destroy it. There's going to be a day when there'll be no tears and everyone's going to walk in the glory of God. I'm here to show you the weakness and, and, and the sadness and the sin and the sickness all are under my authority and I've come to kill them. So some things I want you to remember in light of this passage. There's things I want you to walk through in this passage. So on Monday and Tuesday, when, when the battle is real and the storm is raging and the weakness is all you think about and the brokenness is all you see in the mirror, I want this truth to reign over you. I want you to believe it and I want you to cling to it. That you are not alone. You are never alone. Even when this church, who I think is... Next to, to none is, is in churches of biblical community. There will be a time when this church doesn't come around you like it should and it will fail you. And in that moment, you are still not alone. Amen. In that moment, you have a Savior who's walking on water. He will defy he will defy uh, physics, he'll defy logic, he'll defy everything he needs to to get to where you are, at where you are, and he will be with you. He will sustain you, and he will save you. And I can't promise you that the storm's going to stop, but I can promise you, you will not cry alone, you will not be alone, you will not lay in the sickness and brokenness alone. You have a Savior that will look at you, he will not blink, he will not look away, and he will be everything you could possibly need to ride out that season of life. You were never misunderstood. Hebrew says that we have, a, we have a Savior that was tempted like us. So there's no sin that your Christ doesn't understand. And it is so easy for you to look yourself in the mirror and say, yes, it is okay to have a certain kind of brokenness. It's okay to have a certain kind of pain. There are, there are clean pains inside the church, right? I could tell you, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of like a, 
an interview. Like, what, what's your biggest, I mean, sometimes my stand is I just try too hard. Sometimes I'm, I'm too, I work too much. I will work too much for your company. And we treat those, those isolated Sunday school uh, interview answers the same as the reality of church, the church uh, community, where we think there are sins that the church can handle, and there are sins that the church can't handle. Amen. There are sins that you look in the mirror and you say, I'm okay with confessing the sin of anger, but I'm not telling you what, what kind of stuff I'm Google, because I don't think you can handle that. And, and I don't, I, I'm okay with telling you the brokenness that is socially acceptable, but I'm not telling you what I see when I look in the mirror. And I pray that that's not the truth for you at Trinity Church. That I pray that you trust us enough and that you trust me enough that you're not going to say something that we can't handle. But on the off chance you don't believe that, you need to believe this. You have a Savior who's been there, who's been tempted, and who has said no. And because of that temptation and because of that sinless life he lived, he was able to atone for that sin you think is too scary and too bad. He was able to say, oh, that doesn't make me, that doesn't, there's no wow factor, there's no surprise. We don't serve a God who can be surprised. The, ir the irony is the thing that you're afraid to confess, he already knows about, and the only person you're lying to is yourself. So you are never alone. You are never misunderstood. You have been ransomed. The thing that you think is unviable, the things that you think can never be atoned for, have literally already been atoned for. The day our Christ died and rose again, the thing that's out of your mind that you will only journal, and once you journal, you throw it away, that thing's been atoned for. The thing that you never want to say out loud, but you think constantly, been atoned for. You have been ransomed. And you know what? You have a, you have a pastor who has some pretty weird life experiences, and I've actually been at the foothills of ransom. I've been at the foothill of hostage negotiation. And there is this beautiful thing when you actually ransom something free. That, that, that you know everything is clicking and everything is working. And that's already done. That's already been done for you. And lastly, you are free in light of those facts. And the facts that you are not alone, that you are not misunderstood, and you are ransomed. You are free. Satan wants to trick you into thinking that the yoke of slavery will destroy you. And the yoke of slavery makes you unlovable that people won't understand you and they will cast you aside and he prays that that lie gets into your head and that lie takes you a step closer and a step closer and a step closer out of your biblical community out of God's will till he's gotten you so drifted apart from where you need to be that you think you can never come back and that's a lie you are free now as free as you've ever been as a son and daughter of God. So you are not alone. You are never misunderstood. You have been ransomed. And you are free to walk in the life and beauty of God's saving grace. I want to pray over us today. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get back into Hebrews. I'm excited to see what Hebrews has in store for us and the beauty that is the, the weighty theology. Uh, I, I pray for your endurance. I pray for your patience. I pray for you to be okay when two years from now we're still in Hebrews. Um, I'm joking. That's, we're not going to do Mark again. No more two-year studies. That was, that was an OG joke. We, we spent quite a bit of time in Mark, but I think we learned a lot. Um, I want to pray over us. I want to pray that the truth that we spoke, that is that's not Tim's truth, and this is not Trinity, This is not something that, that Tim made uh, talking points on. These are biblical truths that will sustain you. This is not my opinion. These are not just my hot sports opinions. Uh, these are literal facts of, of our Bible and, and, and theological truths that we cling to in our time of need. 
God, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth that is we are free. We, we have a great high priest that's gone before us, that's, that's mediated for us, so that when God looks at his creation, that when God looks at the sons and daughters of Christ, he doesn't see our brokenness. He sees God's. He sees Christ's blood. He sees the atoning lamb that we may be sanctified, that we may be ransomed, and that we may be free. God, I pray that the truth of our freedom, the truth of our our never being alone is radiated in the bones of the believer and that holds us steady in our time of need. I pray all things in your name. Amen.